You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. It was 1805, and the Napoleonic Wars are at its height. And right in the middle of this war, Napoleon truly believes that if he can just capture the British, he can take all of Europe. And so he begins building an army and building a naval fleet, partnering with France and Spain, obviously together partnering, to take over essentially what would be considered the world. And so he gets these partners, he gets a plan together, he goes to cross the channel to take on this British fleet, and he is met by none other than a guy named Lord Nelson. We know Lord Nelson because of this battle, the Battle of Trafalgar, or however you want to say it, that's how I say it. And what happens in this battle is you have Lord Nelson go against the grain, go against the normal fighting tactics, and ultimately those abnormalities or that very specific tactic that he takes leads him to a victory. See, what would normally happen, I think I have a, a photo of, uh, of a normal battle, is next. Nope, that's the answer. My bad. That's me. Okay, so here's what would normally happen, right? This is, think, think, just, there's not a whole lot of sense in this, but we would line up our ships on one side like this. We would line up the opposing ships on the other side like this, and we would just shoot each other. That's, that's how normal naval battles happened in this time period. And so the French and the Spanish lined up their ships like this, expecting that the British would do this same thing over here. And basically the difference between the two was the French and the Spanish had these large cannons that they would try to shoot at the mast of the ship, hoping that the British, you know, they would, you know, hit the mast and then the boats would no longer work. While the British had much smaller cannons, about the, um, I think they could they could shoot three to four of these in the same time that you would shoot a normal cannon, but obviously they were much smaller, and they would try to shoot them at the deck, killing the crew. And so what, what the French and Spanish were hoping when they lined up was that the British were going to do the same thing, but as you can see in that other picture, what did the British do? Lord Nelson commanded the British to go directly at the French and the Spanish fleet. So you have the French and the Spanish fleet in a line right here, and instead of lining up normally to them on the left, the British came in directly straight at them and essentially split them into three different quadrants. This was unheard of at this time. This was not normal. This was a tactic that had really never been used. But because of Lord Nelson's gutsy move, he and the British win this battle, ultimately holding Napoleon off for that time. Nelson's, Nelson's in, intuitive decision-making not only saved Britain from a, per, a potential invasion, but also secured his legacy as one of the greatest naval commanders in history. Now, why did we open up telling you this story? Why, why do we open up looking at some battle that was a long time ago? And I want to illustrate this to you. Uh, I wanted to use this as an illustration to show you and to tell you that sometimes decisions in life require faith. Sometimes faith requires you to abandon what may seem logical or traditional in hopes that your decision leads to victory in Jesus. Every one of us has gone through difficulty, sickness, pain, death, seasons of anxiety or depression, loneliness, hurt, 
broken relationships, and more. And I guess the question I would have is, in those times of proverbial war, where did you find strength? Where did you find strength? Our text today that Katie read earlier is going to call us to abandon what may seem logical, what may seem like a traditional choice, and it's going to call us, God's going to call us to have faith in Him. We're going to have faith that He is more than enough. The title of my sermon, if you're taking notes, is Faith is Letting Go. Faith is Letting Go. So let's go through this text, Luke chapter 8, verse 40, walking through it together. It says, Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed Him, for they were all waiting for Him. Let's pause there. So here's what's happening. Jesus and the disciples had just returned from healing or exercising these demonic men. And so they've been run out of the city, and they're now coming back to Galilee, a Jewish area, a Jewish part of town. They, they have left the Gentile land, and they have now returned what would feel like home to them. They are back on Jewish soil. And this means a lot. This, think about the comforts that home provides Think about the culture that would have been relevant. They, they were going to one culture that would have not been very comfortable, not been very aware of a lot of the things and some of the cultures and customs at play, and now they're coming home, back on Jewish soil. There's acceptance. So this is the feeling of everyone on this boat. Verse 41, it says, And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. So there are three people in this story, but we're going to focus on two people. The two people who exercise their faith in this story to receive healing. To see that Jesus is more than enough. The first person in need, the first person that we see is Jairus. Jairus, according to this text, right, points that he was a religious leader. If you break down the original language, what you see is that Jairus was likely kind of in charge of ordering the services. He would have been the person at the synagogue putting everything in line for each individual service. He would have been a leader in the city and a very well-respected man. And here he is in a time of great need. It is his only daughter, his only child. And she is gravely sick. Now one could presume that he had gone through every step that he could to find her healing, but at this point, this juncture in life, there was no healing. Put yourself in, in his shoes. Where is your heart? Where is your emotions? You are probably at rock bottom. You are likely distraught beyond words. And you have heard about this Man, Jesus, he's been a popular healer and teacher. And so what do you do? You run to Jesus. And this is sometimes how faith works, isn't it? We, we, we try and do everything that we can to fix the moment, to fix the situation before we run, run to Jesus. And my question is, why? I mean, you know what I'm saying. We, we don't start the conversation in our problem with, Lord, what is the solution to this? Most of the time, I think many of us 
kind of just begin doing things. Oh, and we couch in, well, the Lord gave me discernment, right? He gave me a head to think, so I don't need to consult him about this. He's too busy. Do we think that? Why? Why don't we open our hands to the Lord and say, handle this situation. Guide my steps. We'll get to that. The beautiful thing about this is Jairus runs to Jesus and he helps. He says, yes, we're going to do this. And so they begin to walk. Verse 43. On their way to walk, it says, There was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. Jesus said, Who, who is it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, listen, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling. And falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him. And how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So we saw person number one in need, Jairus, and here's the person number two in, in need, the woman in need of healing. We're not going to break down all of the medical s- situations here. You can Google that, and uh, you'll get a lot of answers there. What we need to lean into is here the, the situation that this woman is in. I want you to think about, uh, and men, this might be harder for us, right? <clears throat> I want you to think about what this woman has been going through for 12 years. She would have been made ceremonially unclean. So she would have been an outcast amongst all the Jewish people. It would not have been a situation where she could like come and hang out at your house. She, she would have been completely and totally ostracized. Think of the leper almost. Where, when they, 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 they would find out if you had leprosy, they would just kick you out of the city. Now, she didn't get kicked out of the city, but she certainly didn't have a lot of friends. She didn't have a lot of people behind her. But interestingly enough, she had funds. It said she went to, to physicians, and all, she, she went through these processes. So she certainly was kind of somebody at some point in life. She had some sort of endowment, or she had something in her life that gave her money, because in that culture, she couldn't have had power and authority without at least a husband at one point. She would have needed that. We don't know the situation and the backstory behind her, but she would have been isolated and alone. She would have been looked at as a very undesirable human being. Both of these people are in situations of dire need. According to Mark's account of the same situation, he gives a little more details and reveals that she has certainly gone through all of the steps to remedy this situation. And now she comes to Jesus in hope that he's more than enough for her. And what we'll see is that faith requires action, is what we learn from her. So in this moment, she comes to Jesus, and then Jesus feels that he's been touched, that she's been healed. I don't want you to think that when Jesus asks the question, hey, who touched me, that he doesn't know the answer. This isn't some situation where he isn't fully God. He is still fully God. So what is Jesus doing when he goes, hey, hey, who touched me? And then Peter's like, hey, bro, there's a lot of people touching you, 
right? Like, I, I mean, I, I don't know if you're like Peter, but man, every time I read him, I'm meat. That's meat, right? I'm like, dude, there's like a hundred people around you. I don't understand what you're saying. And Jesus is like, no, this touch was very specific. It was very special. Power came out. There was healing that happened. Again, why is Jesus asking this? He's asking this question because he wants the woman to reveal herself. He wants the woman to stand up in front of the crowd and proclaim faith. He's requiring people of faith to make themselves known. You can go to Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples and people listening. He says, everyone who acknowledges me before men... I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So what Jesus is doing is he's living out those principles that we see in Matthew chapter 10. This this idea that faith is not something that is hidden. Faith is a very public thing. It is a thing that is on display for people. And I want you to think about that in your life. I want you to think about that as a Christ follower. How is your faith on display? In a situation like most of ours, where we live in the southern part of the United States, it can seem easy. We talked about this recently. But it might even be harder to live out our faith because we have so many people that are mixed in the pot that go, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. But nothing else in their life lines up with that. So what does it mean to live as a Christian? I think there's, there's something hidden in this text that I want to make sure that we're paying attention to. When he says, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father. What we need to know is that denial by omission is still denial. Do you know what I mean? Like, You don't necessarily have to stand up in front of a crowd of people and say, hey, I don't follow Jesus to deny Jesus. Like, if you don't stand with Jesus, that is denial. If if your faith is only something that you kind of keep in a closet or in your back pocket or, you know, on a Facebook status, but it doesn't motivate and move your life, is it actually still faith? Is it the thing that God has called you to? Because faith isn't a good book that you read one time and then put on its shelf to collect dust. Faith is an active thing. Faith in Jesus is not just a decision. It's a transformation. It's letting go of our old selves and then embracing this new life that he offers us. That is what faith is. It is the bridge between letting go of the world's illusions and embracing the reality of God's grace through Jesus. That's what your faith is. This woman boldly approaches Jesus for healing. And then he asks, hey, who touched me? You can tell she's hesitant. That's okay. It's okay to be hesitant in your faith at times. Did you know that? Like, you don't have to be the person on the front lines every single moment of every single time going, you know, I'm here, I've got it. Sometimes some of us just need a little bit of encouragement. We need Jesus to say, who touched me? And it's okay if you're a little timid about your faith. It's okay if you're going, man, I don't know if my life is in line enough to say I follow Jesus. 
What I would tell you is if you recognize that your faith, that your life isn't aligned enough with Jesus, work on getting it aligned because it's not about the end result this side of heaven. It's about the journey with Jesus. Like if somebody looks at you and is saying that, man, you're not good enough to be a Christ follower, you should look back at them and say, neither are you. Right? None of us are good enough. That's the beauty of the gospel. You need Jesus. Now, if you're committing to sin, like you're saying, hey, I'm fully into this sin thing, and I've got this, it's got this grapple hold on me, and you're trying to live in Christ, I would say there's a tension there. There has to be a moment where we seek help, and we go, Jesus, take all of this away from me. I recognize this bondage, this thing that has wrapped me up. I need to release it. And the work then becomes unreleasing it. Jesus calls her to have faith and let it be known. I want to say this. Notice that faith is not the absence of struggles, but it's the presence of strength found in God. I guess you could say it's, it's the presence of strength found in letting go and letting God, if you want to use that old slogan. Notice that, that when you have faith, it doesn't mean you're not going to have problems. It doesn't mean that life's just going to be easy. Lord willing, what faith does, though, is it gives you a power and authority that's well beyond yourself to be able to handle the situations. And that's what he is calling us to walk in. That's what he's calling her and Jairus in this situation to walk in. That her faith required her to abandon what may seem logical or traditional. Go to the physicians, do all these other things, and yet she reaches out and touches him and finds healing. That doesn't make sense. Right? But what he's calling you to do is to reach out and touch him. Is that like an old REM song? Reach out and touch faith. Is that REM? Anybody else? No? Fantastic. Is it his REM? Okay, cool. Depeche mode. 80s. Okay. Let's continue on. Luke chapter 8. I have no idea what that song is talking about either. I'm not endorsing it, FYI. Luke chapter 8, verse 49. While he was still speaking. So he's, he's healed this woman. Remember, Jairus is walking with Jesus. He's witnessed this. And so he has some confirmation of who he is, of who Jesus is. Someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. That moment. You've reached out in faith. Jesus, come. Jesus, come, come do this. And he goes, okay, cool. And they begin to walk down the road. And your hopes are lifted. You then see this woman whose hopes are, are fulfilled in Jesus. She's healed. And so now all of a sudden you've got some confidence that this person that you've reached out to touch, he is more than enough. He is exactly what you needed. And then you get word. She's dead. My kids and I were listening to a devotional on our way to school this week. It centered around a passage in 2 Peter 3. It says, do not overlook this one fact beloved, 
that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, this text is specifically speaking about what, what we would call eschatological moments, times, the end times, right? But I believe the principle of patience applies in this moment, and it applies to Jairus. Here is this situation where Jairus' Jairus's daughter is dead. You've asked the healer to come heal her. He said yes. You walked. You, you were confirmed that he is, in fact, who he says he is. And she now is pronounced dead. What would you say to yourself in that moment? What would your faith look like? I think, selfishly, I think a lot of us would go to Jesus, you failed me. You couldn't run, you couldn't move any faster. She, she could have still been bleeding. She would have been all right. My daughter's dead. You could have came back. Isn't that how we think about our life, though? Like our lives' problems are bigger than everybody else's life's problems. It is. I mean, my, we, we live a very me-centric thing. And so when we've been praying for healing, we've been praying for deliverance from the Lord, and all of a sudden... We don't see him show up, and it seems like it's too late. God, why would you do this? Why would you let this happen? Why would you make this happen? We, we, we lament to him. And let me, let me say, it's, it's fine to lament. He's big enough to handle your lamentations, meaning he's big enough to handle your anger. He's big enough to handle your screams, your tears. Don't hide those things from him. He, he's not a bad parent that can't take you blaming him. He's the best. So if you want to blame him, blame him. To him. Go to him. But here is Jairus' situation. From your perspective, Jesus has failed. Now we know how this story ends. It ends in triumphant return, right? He brings the, the girl back to life. And Jairus' prayers are answered and it's a huge victory. But what does this look like for us? Because this isn't how life always works, is it? The miracle doesn't always come. What does faith look like in those moments? Here's the question. When you think of the purpose of faith, does faith find its worth from how it benefits you? Like, does your faith in Jesus revolve around what have you done for me lately? You know what I mean? I heard a testimony from a friend of mine. He was <clears throat> sentenced to, to be in jail uh, for somewhere between 15 and 25 years. And he begins to pray, like most of us would. And he goes, "My God, if you'll somehow get me out of this, then I'll serve you, and I'll tell others about you. I would say that's a pretty normal thing for somebody raised in a Christian area, right? He did have faith. The Lord 
actually did deliver him from the situation. I'm not saying it was necessarily because of the prayer. I'm not saying it's not. The man did go on to preach and proclaim the gospel and to live a life where others knew about Jesus because of the way he lived. But I do think there's a, something inside of that where we live. What if Jesus wouldn't have answered the prayer for him? Would he still have been enough? The thing that I try to counsel people and, and remind myself even of when I'm asking for something, God's no may be the best answer for me. It doesn't feel like the best answer. I'm certainly sure that if my friend would have been in jail, been sentenced to 20 to 25 years of jail, he wouldn't have been like, well, thanks for that edification, Lord. I appreciate that. But sometimes the best answer for us is no. And so when we think about faith, we need to remember that faith in Jesus is about transformation. It's about how our faith is shifting our mind and our heart to let go. That's what Jairus had to battle in that moment. When he finds that his daughter is dead and seemingly Jesus was just kind of strolling about, how could you let this happen, God? I mean, later in the story, when Jesus shows up, they laugh at him. She's dead, bro. Move on. I mean, that's kind of what everybody's saying and feeling. And what does he say? Child arise. Maybe your life, maybe your faith needs Jesus to come and say, child arise. Because you're limiting who he is. But you know what? In order for that to happen, you have to learn how to let go. You got to let go of understanding. You got to let go of the things of this world. You got to let go of the hurt from life. We got to let go of death, pain, sorrow. These are all disciplines that we have to figure out to let go. These are all, we have to have the discipline, excuse me, to figure out how to let these things go. We need to value and trust in God. And it needs to outweigh our value and our trust in anything else. Because when we find freedom in his love, we find freedom. Period. So when, we, when our value and trust in God outweighs our value and trust in anything else, we will find a freedom in his love. We find a trust in the creator that goes beyond our imagination. Here's what we need to do. Uh, Ashley and Amy, I need you to come here. Ashley, if you'll take this balloon. Amy, if you'll take this balloon. So what you have before you, you have two balloons. This is, this is what the Lord is calling us to do in life, all right? You have him, perfect, holy, righteous. This is who Jesus is. And he's calling you to, to hold, 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 hold tight. Like, I mean, you ain't letting it go. That's right. Like, that's what he's calling you to do. But you know what you can't do? 
You can't hold tightly to Jesus and then hold tightly to the world. Ashley, hold, hold tightly to the world. She's got a pen in her hand. She's not holding tight enough. I'm just kidding. This is what we do, though, right? When we try to hold on to traditions and logic and things that make sense all the time, and, you know, we, we try to put God in this box. We, man, this is, this is what makes sense. This is who God is. He wants me to kind of hold on to the things over here, and when times get hard, I can go over there, and I can maybe do this right here. But when the winds of life and the turmoil of life come in, what's going to happen? I'm going to have to choose to either let go of the world and hold on to Jesus, or I'm going to have to hold on to the world full, full hands. And that is the situation that you find these two people in. They've tried everything in the world to, that they could. They went to every physician they could. They spent all the money, and it wasn't working. And so what did they do? They let go of the world, and they came to Jesus. Actually, let go of the world. Now come to Jesus. I made it long enough string so I could pull it back down. <laughs> That's what you have to do. You have to let go of the world and hold on to Jesus. And that way when the things of this world come and tug and move, you know, you're holding tight on to Jesus. Right? Give it up for them. Appreciate you. Don't let that one go. Yeah. Here. I didn't pop Jesus. He's still alive. <laughs> Here, let's pop the world, too. Let's go ahead and make this easier. So this is what we have to do in life. We have to figure out a way to let go of the world and cling tightly to Jesus. And so today, I, I, want, you to, I want you to think about something. I want you to think about how do you do that. How can you let go of all of the things that this world is pushing and cling tightly to Jesus? What I want to do quickly is we're going to sing a verse and a chorus. I want you to stay seated. Yeah, you can go ahead and take the table. Thank you. We're going to sing a verse and a chorus of a song. And I want you to think about your faith. Is it a transformative thing that's changing the way that you think and see about the world? You know what I mean? Is, is, is it something that goes, I'm going to lean everything that I have and trust in Jesus? Or is your faith just this thing that goes, oh, I have it, but i got to hold on to both balloons? The thing that makes sense and the thing that requires a lot. I'm not willing to let go of this thing I don't fully understand. I understand the world. It makes sense. There's, there's a, a logic about it that I, I understand. One plus one equals two. And this faith thing requires me to lose control. And I'm not willing to let go and hold on to Jesus. So I want us to sing this song. I want us to listen to the first verse and chorus together. And then I'm going to come back out. But I want you to think about where you are. Where is your faith? Where is your trust? 